Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Evening Standard of the D1T in 5 for Monday, October 4th. I'm Aaron Matus. NCAA correspondent Andy Katz is joined by Southland Commissioner Tom Burnett, Duke Athletic Director Nina King, and NCAA Interim SVP of Inclusion Felicia Martin to discuss gender equity updates. On the topic of changing mascot names, such as Baylor recently did by removing the Lady from Lady Bears, Martin notes that we did get to the point we are with that designation because there's a history there when it comes to gender equity. Unfortunately, through higher ed, through education, there had to be specifics carved out so that women could compete, women could be educated, women could have the same opportunities as our male counterparts. We're at a time where definitely our society is moving us in a direction, but we also have to consider that there is some history there. Regarding the potential for having the men's basketball and women's basketball Final Fours in the same city, King and Burnett point out that it was important to honor current contracts and use the next few years to think intentionally about next steps. We need some time to explore the topic, but understand what is the goal behind potentially holding a joint championship, King said. Martin adds that it will be important to ensure cities that host joint championships have the infrastructure to ensure equitable experiences for all student-athletes while also guaranteeing great fan experiences. Tennessee Athletic Director Danny White discusses several topics with Learfield University Partnership Group EVP Mike Hamilton, including the compelling similarities between taking over at UCF and UT. White explains he enjoyed going through the process of taking something from a lower level to a much higher level. There's no way I would have left there for a place that was already going at a high level. I think I'd be bored to tears. I don't know what I'd do. I hadn't really considered the big brand historic place is one that could be a build, and that's how Tennessee was presented to me. Regarding the football head coach search, White explains the Vols spoke with a number of candidates that nobody knows about. He also says he gathered feedback from football student-athletes to help me understand what was going wrong in the program and build a profile for the next head coach. Shifting gears, White points out that his org chart is, quote, never set in stone, end quote, but is written with pencil and eraser, and we change it all the time. I think it's a healthy thing to do to evaluate who's doing what and why. I like to simplify things and allow people to have a pretty simple focus. I think you can go deeper and have a bigger impact. A lot of times people building their career want to have as much responsibility as possible, and that's great. And you can have a lot of bullet points on your resume, but you can help the organization a lot more if you have a much deeper impact on a more focused portfolio. Extra Points Matt Brown talks with Syracuse professor Dennis Denninger, Navigate SVP of Analytics and Innovation Matt Balvans, and CSMG Senior Director for Media and Partnerships Dan Gerard about mid-major TV valuations moving forward. And Balvans notes that while streaming will play an increasingly important role over time, the majority of the audience for Group of Five and FCS programs will continue watching on linear TV. Brown said, a typical ESPN Plus broadcast on a G5 or FCS football game, he told me, might only have a few thousand people watch via streaming. The CAA, a really good FCS football league, averaged a little under 5,000 streamers a game. Throw the game on ESPNU or a comparable network and it could end up with 10 times as many viewers. Denninger, meanwhile, points out that the location of fans who are watching is less important than it used to be. 
meaning schools located in urban areas aren't necessarily more valuable TV partners. Still, Gerard pointed out that selling some ads can be easier for leagues in a more concentrated geographic footprint than with a conference that is more spread out. Breaking things down further still, Brown points out that who is watching can be as valuable as how many are watching, citing the NHL's smaller but comparatively more affluent fan base. Washington State VP for Communications Phil Weiler confirms that Monday is the deadline for receiving the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and being fully vaccinated under the governor's mandate. It's also the deadline for those seeking religious or medical exemptions. Unless you have been vaccinated or have an exemption by October 18th, you are not allowed to work for the university. The San Jose Mercury News' John Wilner subsequently points out, If we assume Washington State football head coach Nick Rolovich wants to continue coaching the Cougars beyond October 18th, that leaves one path, a religious or medical exemption. To add more context, Rolovich's heretofore refusal to get vaccinated, Wilner points out that 98% of WSU students are vaccinated and the university has twice as many students on campus in Pullman as it did last year, and one-fifth the case count. Moving forward, Wilner explains that requests for exemptions submitted by today will likely be evaluated via a blind process before the October 18th deadline set by Governor Jay Inslee's emergency proclamation. Weiler, however, notes, it's our hope that exemption requests submitted by October 4th can be reviewed and completed by October 18th, but it depends on the number of requests ultimately received. This and more in your D1 ticker email. I'm Aaron Matus, and this has been the Evening Standard of your D1T in 5 for Monday, October 4th. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again in the morning.